chapter 12, I think. I thought we were going to go a different direction today, but the Lord just sort of kept whispering something else here. So we'll see if we can find the right place in Scripture. Maybe it's Matthew 14. Yeah, Matthew 14. Let me say this while you're turning there. I'll give you the cliff note version of some thoughts that have been turning in my spirit, and then we'll go to Matthew 14. We've talked quite a bit recently about unity and praying to that end. I feel and I feel the drawing of the spirit to continue striving, as Paul said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We have to endeavor to do that. We have to endeavor daily to do that. Okay, this is critical. It's critical for what he's doing and will do. Jesus said that he had sheep that are not yet in the fold. Them also he must bring. Okay. And I've watched it in the natural in the workplace. You can have a, if you'll pardon this comparative, I don't mean, I know we're not a workplace, a bunch of employees, but just talking about the concept of people coming together for a common cause and working together. I've watched having a very cohesive team in the workplace and you hire somebody new and bring them in. And oh goodness, it can be like, whoo. Now I'm not prophesying doom and gloom. You understand. It's just, it's part of growing pains. And so this is why we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, okay? And the Lord has been dealing with me about this for a couple of days, that the greatest hindrance to unity is comparison. Comparison is a destroyer of unity. I'll give you quick examples. We can find in Exodus, or it wasn't in Exodus, it was in Numbers, happened probably somewhere along the way in Exodus, but we read it in Numbers. Aaron and Miriam, Moses' siblings, they were brothers and sisters. They said, you know, can we not hear from God as well as Moses? Well, they could. But Moses was the one God chose to use at that time. Aaron had a role. Miriam had a role. Moses had a role. But they were comparing And their comparing caused them to begin to speak out. And the Lord asked a question. You wouldn't think anything of speaking out against this man? Their comparison caused them to open their mouth in the negative. You can read it there in Scripture. It became a destroyer of unity. You know, what's interesting about that, if you read that passage of Scripture in Numbers, is many of you know it, the Lord smote Miriam with leprosy. He said, I want all of you to come together and I'll deal with this. We should probably be thankful God doesn't quite do that so often these days, huh? He smote her with leprosy and then they said, Moses, pray for us. Oh, yeah, all of a sudden the story's turned. Pray for us. Moses did, but I want you to notice something about that passage of Scripture. 
The Lord said, I'll heal her, but you put her outside of the camp. Just like a leper, you put her outside the camp. The Lord wasn't cutting her off, but he wanted her. I believe the Lord wanted her to feel what it is to be cut off from the people. And she was cut off for seven days. But I want you to notice the greater adverse effect. If you read the last verse in that chapter in Numbers, they didn't, the whole tribe of Israel didn't move until the seven days were up and she came back into the camp and was healed. Disunity hinders the movement of the whole. And so we must endeavor to keep unity. Comparison can destroy that. You read Acts 4 and Acts 5. At the end of Acts 4, you got people giving land, selling houses, giving it all. And in Acts 5, you find a couple named Ananias and Sapphira that thought, that looks pretty cool. They're comparing. Let's sell our land and let's say we're giving it all, but let's hold some back. But let's, comparison did that. Now the Lord saw the church growing. The church was multiplying. Great things were happening in the church. And the Lord said, I'm just going to deal with this because I'm going somewhere with the church. And he didn't, he gave them a brief moment to correct it. But they were comparing themselves. Let's be seen like somebody else. So let's sell our land and look like we're doing what somebody else is doing. It's comparative. And the Lord's like, I'm not going to let that come in. Ananias, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? That word conceived there means to talk to one's own self. Why did you talk yourself into this thing? I want the unity of the spirit. Amen. Now, let me give you one contrast that's very, very positive. Remember David? 1 Samuel 23, I think it is. We find David hiding in the cave in Engadai. There he is in the cave, and Saul and his men come in and lay down to sleep. And David and all of his men are against the walls of the cave. And David's men, there, Saul and his men lay down and go to sleep. And David's men say, See, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. You don't think David wrestled with comparison? I've been anointed king. He knew he had an anointing on his life. He had killed Goliath. He had served Saul. You don't think he wrestled with that? And he's following after God. Saul is no longer following after God. You think he's not going, man, I, it's, I should probably just go ahead and go forward. I could be a better king than Saul. You don't think he had to wrestle? He was as human as you and I. And so he just cut off a piece of his skirt from his robe. And the Bible says when he did it, the Lord smote his heart. Thank God. Thank God he recognized the Lord smiting his heart. You understand, David could have killed Saul, and who knows what it would have done to the... You understand, Israel became divided. And who knows what it could have done to Israel and to those men that were watching him. But he created unity among his men with his action. 
He repented of what he did. And the Lord used David to unite the kingdom of Israel. Unity. Unity. Avoid comparison. Amen? All right. That was five minutes of part one. This is part two, and it's totally unrelated, I think. Just needed to share that. It's been in my spirit. Amen. Let's endeavor. Let's endeavor. Let's endeavor. Amen. Matthew chapter 14. I'm looking for the verse because I really don't know where we're going this morning. I hope that's not too honest for all of you. Verse 23, Matthew 14 and 23. This is speaking of Jesus. It says, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, Oh, we should go back to verse 22. I'm sorry. He just finished feeding 5,000 men, women, and children. This is where the disciples, he broke the bread and blessed it, and then the disciples started giving it out, and the miracle took place as they were passing stuff out. Okay? And so, verse 22, he, that's they're done with that. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples, get into his ship, go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. I've always wondered about that. He told them to get in a ship and go. And then he told the multitude to leave. I, you know what I think was taking place right there? I believe the miracle happened in the disciples' hands. The Lord blessed the bread and the fish and broke it. But I don't think he broke it, and then there were 50 baskets of stuff. He blessed it, and he broke it, and he told the disciples, now go pass it out. I believe as they gave, it multiplied. I believe as they gave, like the woman with a little cruise of oil and a little barrel of meal, as she continued to pour out, it continued to come. I really believe that's how the miracle worked. And, they, and then they took up 12 baskets. And so, you know, the Lord protects us from ourselves in his love for us and his using of us. There's things he does in our lives to protect us from himself, from ourselves. And these disciples, having just been used in this magnificent miracle among over, I, I think it's pretty safe to say there were probably at least 10 to 15,000 people because it was 5,000 men plus women and children. So these 12 men had just been used of God to do the miraculous, to participate in the miraculous. And don't you know it would have been a prime opportunity to gather followers? I'd like you 12 to go ahead and go get in the ship and head on over. I'll take care of the multitude. I really believe he was protecting them from them and protecting them from men that would try to attach themselves to a man. And so he sent the multitude. That's not what I want to talk about, but side note. Verse 23. And when he'd sent the multitudes away, he went to a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. 
Verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the, you ever felt like the wind is contrary? You know, the wind is usually indicative of the spirit. You ever feel like the wind is contrary? Like you're trying to go somewhere, you're trying to walk in the will of God, trying to do the will of God, trying to be obedient to God, wanting to please God, responding to what you believe is the voice of God, and stuff's contrary. Why am I? Why am I dealing with contrary stuff? Ah, and you know, sometimes it makes you did I hear from God? Am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right direction? Is this a good boat? Maybe I need a different boat. Maybe I need to change this. Maybe I, I, the wind was contrary. I, I find it interesting that Matthew drew this. He keeps, he does this back and forth. He paints this picture. Jesus is over here. They're getting in the boat. Jesus sends the multitude away. They're taking off. Jesus is in the mountain all by himself alone. They're out in the It's like he keeps drawing this contrast of where Jesus is and where they are. You know, sometimes when we begin to follow the direction of the Lord, it feels like the Lord gave us direction and then he's nowhere around. Now, we know that's not true. We know he's omnipresent. We know he's always with us. But yet it can feel like there's these steps we take in our living for God. That it feels, what is it? It's a walk of faith. And we have a confidence we heard from him usually when we start. Walking by faith is not this. I think sometimes that's how we think it is, or that's our approach. Okay, is that you? Oh, no. Is that you? No, that's not walking by faith. When the scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight, that's not what it means. It means I walk in a confidence I've heard from God. I believe in the voice of God and instruction and direction for my life. I may not be able to explain why. I may not be able to explain where or what's going on. But I have faith that God is ordering my steps. That the way I'm going is His direction. And it's easy to walk by faith right after we hear from the Lord. Right? Philip heads south. Toward the desert. Okay. I don't know how far he went. I don't know if it was 10 miles, 17 miles, three days. Maybe it tells us in there in the book of Acts. I have to go back and read it later. But if it was longer than a few minutes, and I think it might have been. You know, when he was in Samaria and he heard that direction, I'm sure he was like, yes, Lord. I knew. Okay, I'm heading. Here we go. Then it got hot. In the desert. And now I'm alone. Nobody's following me. Maybe a bird circling overhead. I, I don't know. But he was human just like you and I. And I don't doubt he started out with great faith. But along the way... The determination that I'm going to keep going until had to come from a confidence he had that he'd heard from the Lord. That's walking by faith, not by sight. 
not by the circumstances, not by what I see, not by the contrary wind. I'm not going to let the wind determine my direction. The wind is contrary, but it's not going to cause me to go contrary to the will of God. I'll just have to go through it. The wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. He has a way of showing up right when he's supposed to. Now watch. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Did they see him? Did they see him? It says they did. But apparently, I can only determine this based on what we read. Apparently, the storm, though they could see him, the storm was enough that they could not discern that it was him. Does that make sense? And so they thought it was a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Many would say and believe that they thought it was a spirit of death coming to take their lives. They knew what Jesus looked like, don't you think? So apparently, the wind that was contrary in the storm got it to where they couldn't quite discern what he looked like. They couldn't make out that it was him. But watch. But straightway Jesus spoke to them, and he said, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. They couldn't recognize him through the storm, but they recognized his voice in the storm. Your life of prayer is so vital. Consistent prayer is so vital because it's consistent prayer that allows you and I to recognize his voice even in the storm. If you and I do not have consistency in prayer, the storm can come and we're not sure if we're hearing his voice or not. Now watch. All that to get here. I think I know where we're going now. Jesus is there and Peter makes what would seem to me a crazy request. Not exactly what I would imagine someone to say. Remember, it's just a verse ago, they're afraid. The wind's contrary. They're fearing for their life. They're crying out in fear. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. The normal response would be, Whew, Jesus, come help us. But that's not what Peter says. Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, ask me to come. Does that strike you as odd or just me? 
Jesus, if it's you out there where I can't really see and where the storm's crazy and where moments ago it was bringing so much fear to my life, if it's you, Jesus, ask me to get out of this place of security and step into the unknown. What? Jesus, if it's you, I don't want to stay in the secure place that man has made. I want to step where you are, even if it's unknown to me. Jesus, if it's you, I just have one request. Ask me to come. Ask me to come where you are. I know there's a storm, but I'm not confident in what man has made. But I'm confident in where you are. I'm confident in where you are. I'm confident in your voice. Someone hear me today. I know who the Lord is reaching for. I don't know who, but I recognize He is. You are standing in a place of man-made security and saying, I feel safe here. I know there's a storm and it makes me nervous, but to take a step of faith is stepping into what I don't know. I'm telling you it's safer stepping where He is in the unknown than staying in a man-made ship that is subject to the wind of this world. Peter made a decision The unknown with Him is greater than any man-made, world-given thing called security that is only fleeting. He could have put His confidence in the boat. I've put my confidence in the boat before. It's a secure place. Boring as can be, but it's secure. I just say that. Scenery never changes. Wood planks. Sometimes the company's not so good either on those things. I'm not talking about you. Other people speak in fear and doubt. Other people just... Holding on until he comes. I don't know. There's something in my spirit. I'm not interested in holding on until he comes. Lord, if it's you, bid me come. I want to step into what you're inviting me into. My eye will not be fixed on the storm. My eye will be fixed on the one who bids me come. See, we we have to remember, when he said come, the storm did not stop. That's, That's what we say. Okay, I'll step in faith out of this boat once the sea settles in. You know, it's a little crazy right now. Things are a little chaotic right now. I don't really know what's going on right now. And I think that's God, but you know, I'll wait till things settle down. And when things settle down, then I'll. I can give you 101 examples of stuff like that. You know, once all my finances are in order, then I'll trust God with the return of my tithe and offering. Once I get through this situation and circumstance of my life, then I'll commit to being faithful to the house of God and the things of God. Once I get all these problems in my life fixed, then I'll do the things God's asking me to do in reaching to us. Look, none of that's ever going to get all perfectly in order. You just got to step in faith. 
You just got to step in faith. You just got to step in faith to where he is. We want so many guarantees in life. There's some guarantees. Death and taxes, somebody said. <laughs> Uh, some of you were thinking that anyway, so I just said it. I'll give you another guarantee. Wherever he is, is the place to be. Where he is, there is peace. Where he is, there is true security. Where he is, there is hope beyond this life. Where he is... I don't know what I'm I don't know what the Lord's asking of us. I feel like he's asking us. Are you willing to step out of a good boat into the unknown? If I ask you to come. Even if all the circumstances aren't ideal for the stepping. Because it was not ideal. You know, I could see stepping out if the water was glassy smooth. I'd want to see my reflection. I wouldn't want it to be clear and see the bottom. Right? Sun shining, lighting my path. I could see Jesus plainly. Smooth. Looks like maybe. You know? But no. Fourth watch of the night, it's dark. Vision is limited because they couldn't even make out Jesus. Spiritually, I sense that some of you have been asking God for a direction. Lord, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And the Lord is saying, you step. Well, but I... You step. Into what? The unknown. In faith. I'm not talking about recklessly going, well, I don't know. Let me just see if God's telling me or not. I'll just do dumb stuff and see what happens. That's not. You understand this morning. Would you pray with me right now? Come on, would you talk to the Lord in the name of Jesus? Now, the Lord, the word of God gives us some instruction. Let me say this before we read this next verse. If there has already been a witness in your spirit, please don't walk out of here and analyze for the next three or four weeks. How long did Peter stay in the boat after the Lord said, come? 
He said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, doesn't sound like there's much time in between. He stepped. He took the next step. I'm convinced that there are times we don't see all that God intends simply because we won't take that first step in faith. We want to know, well, but Lord, ah, if I take the first, what's the second, third, fourth, and fifth going to look like? I'd like to know where this is going. Trust me, I would too. But he doesn't usually work that way. Philip heads south toward the desert. Good, clear, solid direction about what I'm having. He didn't even say, I've got something for you to do there. I think Philip probably trusted and believed. Who knows? But just go. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And you hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. Such are they that are born of the Spirit. Such are they that are born of the Spirit. The children of Israel were led by a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of cloud in the day. When the pillar moved, they moved. They didn't know where they were going next. They didn't know where they were going to stop next. But what they did is recognize the Spirit of God is moving. We move when the Spirit of God moves. Peter moved. Peter moved. Peter moved. So he's walking on the water. We often talk, Peter doesn't get enough credit sometimes. Peter walked on water too. Peter walked on water too. But when he saw the wind boisterous, verse 30, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? Wow. Peter stepped out. And we get some understanding about what could happen when we step out in faith. You're probably going to see things you haven't seen before when you step into the unknown. And so you have to determine, no, no, no. I may be seeing stuff I haven't seen before, but I'm not going to let it grip my heart with fear. I'll keep my eyes fixed on him. He's the one I'm looking to. He's the one I'm clinging. He's the one that's directing my steps. My eyes are fixed on him. See, what happened is Peter got his eyes off Jesus. He was going the right direction. He was going in obedience to the Lord. He was responding to God. But the storm that he stepped into in faith got his attention all of a sudden. And he became distracted by it. And he began to sink. Get your eyes back on him. Some of you are already in a place that's unknown to you because you've already stepped in faith. But you feel like you're sinking this morning. Get your eyes back on him. Get your eyes back on him. Get your eyes back on him. And Peter said, Lord, help me. Now, 
Jesus immediately, as soon as Peter cried out, Jesus reached, stretched his hand, lifted him up. And I'm finishing here. Stand with me, please. He lifted him up. And Jesus says to Peter, oh, you of little faith. What? You know what I want to say? Jesus, I'm the only one that got out of the boat. What about those guys? Oh, no, Peter. You're the only one that got out of the boat, so you're the one I'm talking to. Well, yeah, but at least I... You did, Peter. But you stopped walking in the faith of that first step. You had faith for the first step, Peter. And you may have had faith for the second step. I'm not sure at what point. But Peter, somewhere along the way, you stopped having faith. Peter, precious child of God this morning, you just keep stepping in faith. You just keep stepping in faith. Turn your eyes off the circumstances. Turn them back on Jesus. Keep stepping in faith. He is taking you somewhere. He is taking us. It's unknown. It's unchartered. We haven't gone before. But there's got to be those that are willing to go where others haven't gone before so that the Lord can do what he wants to do in the earth. It was said at one point by those that the Lord used. We've never seen it on this wise. It would seem that God does things that men have never seen before. And for God to do things that men have never seen before, there have to be men and women of God willing to step and go where men and women of God have never gone before. Why not you? And why not I? Would you reach to him in faith right now? I'm opening this altar to you. If you'd like to step out in faith this morning. In an affirming and a commitment unto the Lord afresh. In faith. In faith. In faith. Uh, come on, you're not just coming and weeping or crying out. There should be an expression of faith. There should be an expression of faith, a commitment to him of that which he's spoken already. Lord, I will. By my coming right now, I'm expressing this is the first step, Lord. Or this is the returning to taking steps of faith, Lord. Come on, express it to him. I believe he'll give some of you a word today. Maybe you've been 